0: This is Will Ford from Football365, and you're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast. What's up, everyone? You're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. In today's episode, we're back here again. We're talking about Chelsea's defensive crisis. Why is it a crisis? How are we going to repair it and our future tactically with this defence? Now, here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey, Berth and Chris. What's up? No, that's not right. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. I'm your host, Mikey. And after we received one complaint last week of our intro for not giving Berth a good enough introduction... We'll probably get more this week so I'd botched that intro, but here are my co-hosts who would change any second-half performance in a positive way, Berth and Chris. How are we doing, lads?
1: Yeah, I'm really good. I kind of like that intro, to be fair, mate, so well done on that, but I'm I'm really good. bit tired, as always, but I'm okay. Chris, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm really good. Happy with that intro this week. We're i much happy with that. Yeah. Well, hey,
0: Thomas Partey, if he joins, we we're going to be having a partay about that. That's going to I be think, a headline news we join.
1: if the one side. <laughs> the
0: introductions have got spawned now. So, well, well, with that, we'll head into the newsroom and see what the latest goings on are at Stamford Bridge. So. News. There's, not a lot. I mean, we we're recording a little earlier because we've got commitments, but yeah, we're going to look in, and we've got, we have Declan Rice news to Chelsea. There's, there's, nothing quite like shipping three goals in one half to a promoted club to bring interesting rice to the boil. But uh, um, various sources that suggest this move will be likely our final on the window for incomings. But then there was news tonight that apparently there's no chance he will be leaving West Ham you never know with transfers you, you never know till the, the window shuts but do, do, do you think it will get done or do you
1: think it's just not going to happen um, if you'd have asked me a month ago and said yes it will definitely happen but now I just I just don't see it happening it seems as if definitely doesn't seem that bothered you know it doesn't seem as if he'll push for a move to Chelsea this summer and West Ham probably won't let him go for a, a cheap fee so I just don't see it happening this summer I think next one will be the time for him to move on to
2: Chelsea, if I'm honest. I don't think West Ham, with all what's going on, with their fans turning on the board, and they, I don't. I think that's probably when they decided that they'll keep him for now, no matter what. Imagine the sort of a goal they would have in the fans if they sold him as well now. Yeah, yeah,
0: I can see your point. They would be in a bit of a sticky situation. I mean, you know, they've, they've started, it's a bit of a strange one. They've not... I mean, they were quite impressive over the weekend against Wolves, but Mm. I mean, Declan Rice has a contract to 2024, which is obviously four years with the option of an extra year. So they're not in a position where his market value is going to drop unless he has an absolute dreadful season this year. Uh, Yeah, I think based on everything going on, I I think I was quite excited and thought this could go ahead, but... I can't see it and if that move doesn't go then you would assume that Jorginho won't leave either because obviously one in one out sort of aspect one player that's not leaving this summer on loan is Callum Hudson-Odoi I I think we can all agree that is fantastic news
1: yeah yeah brilliant news especially after the performance he gave against West Brom when he came on Mm, you don't want him to to move on you want him at Chelsea and to develop at Chelsea because we all know how big his potential is and how much of a star he can become yeah
2: yeah, I think it, he offers us something different to our other attacking players as well, which
0: I think is important. Yeah, I mean, he was incredible when he did come on. So uh, he just he just needs those starts. And, you know, we're recording this before the Tottenham game. So obviously we won't be reviewing that. And at the time of recording, he is actually in the Chelsea eleven. So hopefully he has another good game. Oh, Jill Wellers as well. Oh, That's good to see. Um, I'm saying this, they might have had a really bad game, but I'm sure they won't. So, yeah, fingers crossed we have a good we have a good result tonight. Um, one player that isn't in our starting eleven, and he looks like he could be leaving, is Antonio Rudiger. Apparently, he's gone. He'll be shipped out, and probably to Spurs is the name being mentioned. I mean, we don't sell to Spurs. That's what Colton Cole said, you know, back when Roman took over the club. So, I don't know. What are you thinking on this,
1: lads? I mean, it's just so seemingly came about really quickly that Rudiger is out out of favour with Frank Lampard. It's you know, last year he was. Lampard's first choice at centre-back and it didn't seem like he'd ever be dropped. A few poor performances, especially in the cup final and now all of a sudden he's on his way out. I I don't think he'll go to Spurs. I don't see him going to Spurs anyway. I think it might be somewhere like PSG, somewhere like that, but stranger things have happened and, you know, fair play to him. If if it's best of the club and best of him, then he can leave if he wants to. I I won't lose any sleep over Rudiger going, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah, I'm just a bit concerned about the lack of depth it would leave us in centre back. We're relying on Thiago Silva playing a lot of games. If we go and we don't bring in a replacement, mm.
0: yeah, we've got Christian Zuma, and you know we've got Tamori. You know we've got some decent. I, I would say again that's one in one out, but that's probably unrealistic. We don't really. I mean, you never know. Transfer deadline day is meant. We. I never thought we'd ever sign Danny Drinkwater. And I'm pretty sure no one ever thought we'd drop one of the worst, hilarious, but dreadful uh, announcement videos when we announced Antonio Rudiger. I still love that video. It's so bad, but it's just so you can't. Yeah,
1: I'll remember that. And it is terrible. It's
0: it not quite. Great. It's not quite come to the shiktas. I think that is still the best trend of any window of all time. I just loved it so much. because It's just so bad, but it's so great. So, ah, like, oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. So this episode is obviously being recorded a little bit earlier than normal, which means we won't be able to discuss the Champions League draw as a group till next week. But don't fear. I thought we're going to keep this episode on topic today. I- I'd wait till after the draw and record my own thoughts briefly to share. So, you know, my own thoughts will obviously be tagged on to the end of this bit of news uh, before we go into our main topic. So, yeah, you won't hear Berth or Chris's voices, but we will definitely be talking and doing a deep dive on all our opponents next week, when we, obviously it's international break, so we thought, yeah, it's a good time to just look at the clubs we'll be facing in the Champions League. I, it'd be interesting who we get as the second team. That's always the one that you go, oh, they could they could trip us up. We had the group yeah. of moderate peril last year with Valencia, Lille, and Ajax, who, Ajax aren't in it this year. They got knocked out, didn't they? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. It was in the draw. I should really Google. have Googled <laughs> this. <laughs> I really should have. <laughs> But, oh, man, that's really bad uh, research for myself. Some people I think we're professional podcasters now. We're really I don't... pro,
1: yeah. Well, yeah I, totally. I, don't, I don't see it myself, if I'm honest. Oh,
0: we're in pot two. With Ajax. Oh, oh wow, we're in pot two with Man City and Man United. And Barcelona, of course. We're not champions and neither of those lot. So we'll definitely have one of Bayern. Yay. <laughs> uh, Seville. Oh, that'd be all right. Um, Real Madrid, Juventus, PSG. Zenit or porto <laughs> uh, i mean who are we going to get i mean it doesn't really matter you know it's you've got to you, you obviously want one of Zenit, porto or Seville. Yeah. we'll know by then and obviously you've got pot three or four you've got you know your locomotive Moscow, your marseilles your club Brugers. it's going to be very interesting so obviously my thoughts are going to follow this but we'll be discussing it on a deep dive all three teams in next week's episode so the Champions League draw has just been made. It's hot off the press for myself. Obviously, as we said in the podcast episode, we'll be doing a deep dive on all three teams on next week's show. This week, well, I'm going to give you my quick thoughts. Um, as you know, we got uh, last year we got Ajax, Valencia and Lille. And I called it the Group of Moderate Peril. This year, maybe Group of Moderate Peril 2.0, maybe. We've got Seville, Europa League Champions they're not, they're not the best in the Champions League they've, they've shocked Man United before we know that but we're not Man United we're not going to get shocked here hopefully not um, Krasnodar or Krasnodar they're obviously Russian um, never played them in European competitions similar to that of Seville it's going to be a difficult travel you know travel comes into it especially with the tight schedule many fans are calling out um, you didn't want to really go to Russia or Ukraine is what it is but Krasnodar then I think that we should be worrying about and obviously the final team was wrong. Or Ren, you know, I'll be yeah. Uh, Eduard Mendy's former club, so that's gonna be an interesting Mendy Derby, as you may wish to call it. But yeah, I think overall my thoughts are one of I, I'm not I'm not upset with the with what we've been handed. You know, it could have been a lot worse. You've you've probably seen the worst case scenario and the best case scenarios. Obviously I tweeted one out this morning. Best case was Porto, Krasnodar and Ferran Vakos, or Varos. We've got one of those teams, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty content with our with our group. You know, we could have easily been in a group of pff, Bayern, Inter, and Marseille, and that would have been absolutely hell because Inter Milan are an amazing side, Marseille under VS Boas, they're a great side, and Bayern Munich are arguably the best team in Europe right now. So you don't want to be coming up against those. I know it's the Champions League, you want to be. Well, you want to beat the best teams in front of you. That's the whole point of the Champions League. But then we have to remember that at the end of the day, you want to get as far as you can in the competition. And I feel that the group we have been presented with outside of the travel, yeah, I feel that we should be expecting to top that group. You know, with the likes of Havertz, Werner, Pulisic, Ziyech, we've got huge, huge big names in our squad. And at the end of the day, should we be expected to beat... Krasnodar? Yes. Should we be expected to beat Ren? Yes. And should we be expected to beat Seville? Yes. Yes, we should. They're not going to be. Seville are obviously going to be the biggest team we're taking on. They're not. They're not. They're no pushovers. They've got some top tier talent. They've obviously had Rakitic back. They've got Suso, the former Liverpool player. They've got obviously Diego Carlos, who's quite one coveted defender of theirs. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult, difficult. Uh, match up when we play them. Let's, let's not pretend it isn't. But overall, I'm I'm pretty content with that group. I feel that difficulty rating, 10 being extremely difficult, 1 being absolutely easy. I feel that's more of a 5 out of 10. You know, it's you know it's it's not, not too bad at all. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to next week when we go into the big, big talking points where we obviously we're going to go and look at Seville. We're going to look at Krasnodar and we're going to look at Wren. See what's going to the difficult who are the big names to look out for etc etc one final Champions League little tidbit um, Group C Man City got another easy group didn't they Porto Olympiacos Marseille yeah it, it is what it is um, I think Group H is the group of death this year you got PSG you got Man United Leipzig and Istanbul Basaksehir. are here you could also argue Group B is potentially the group of death with Real Madrid Shakhtar Inter and Mönchengladbach so yeah it, there's some candidates there for the group of death but overall I'm happy Hopefully you guys are obviously happy and we're going to be deep diving into next week's episode. So that's going to be something Chris, Berth and I are going to be extremely looking forward to. So this is kind of the main topic as well. You've got the West Brom game. Obviously, uh, I'm kind of fairly happy with the result. Well, happy. Very awkwardly happy considering the position we were in. I suppose it's a good omen for the season we came from 3-0 down. But yeah, the topic is Frank Lampard's Chelsea are guilty. There is no case for this defence. I saw a sort of similar headline from uh, a British newspaper and I thought, I'm going to play on those words because I thought they were very smart and thought I'll have that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that result, defensively, I mean, it it was interesting. You know, we had a, a jury rigged... Overlapping back three at 3 2, you know. But, well, that was, I think, when we were playing Brentford a couple of years ago. But, you know, we've three points was considered more important than the draw, but we've still dropped points to relegation, Father. I mean, how did you guys take
1: that game? I mean, I'll start with the positives, and there, there weren't many positives. But the second half, to quote Brendan Rodgers, we did show great character, in all fairness and Lampard may changed at half time who made an impact on the pitch Hudson-Odoi came on was fantastic Giroud played his part when he came on you know it did help and we did show a lot of chances in that second half but that first half is possibly the worst defensive display I've ever seen from any Chelsea team Now, I've only watched Chelsea since since about 3 so about 23 years I've been watching Chelsea that is the worst defensive display I've ever seen from a Chelsea team by far it was yeah. that bad. It, it's kind of one of them things where you
0: think of the meme. They, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. Uh, I mean, to go 1-0 down, you think, nah, this, this, this happens, you know, don't worry. 2-0, worrying, and that third goal, which we'll touch on, it's just, you start thinking, I, I can't see us coming back into this, you know. Mm. And West yeah. Brom, they were hardly outstanding this season. I mean, that's the thing that's so frustrating. You think, really? You know, you think of the teams they've played. They lost to Everton. They've, they've lost to Leicester. Uh, you know, I mean, where'd you go? I mean, you really thought we were going to deliver them three points. I mean, how did you take that, that first half particularly, Chris?
2: I think you have to give a little bit of credit to West Brom in the fact that we made, we made three mistakes, three major defensive errors in that first half, and they punished us on all three. Which Yeah. You can't say it's a little bit unfortunate for I thought the, the set-piece goal was unforgivable. I know Marcus Alonso took a lot of stick for that, but rich James is walking out and plays it. If rich James comes out quicker, he's outside. So it's awesome. I thought yeah. the silver one is just one of those things that happens. I think all the numbers have been there. I think John Terry did it against Arsenal at home. And I thought the first goal... It was a poor header from Alonso, but it was a really good finish. I think, I think
0: it's, yeah, it's annoying that they had three shots on target and they scored all three. That's never good reading. It never no. is good reading because if they'd have had more shots, you might have taken away a bit. You'd have felt comfortable, not happy, but you'd have been like, well, they had a few. We, we allowed them, but literally they had three chances, made each one count. It, it would have been play. interesting
1: It would have been interesting if Keppel was in goal. Now, I'm not saying Caballero was at fault for any of the goals. I don't think he was. But could you imagine if Keppel was in goal and oh. someone had said, "Oh, they only had three shots and they scored three goals"? Can you imagine the stick that Keppel would have got for that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. On, on, yeah. You, you're totally right. Yeah. I mean, on the West
0: Brom front, first of all, did you see the Mateus Pereira flick?
1: Yeah. That, oh, yeah. Was so good, so that, good. That, that good was credit. very nice. That was very nice. I must it, admit.
0: Yeah, I must admit. When I saw it, even I did think, <laughs> "Fair play, that was good." I didn't hate it. Hate you don't usually. <laughs> Applaud an opposition, but I thought that was nice. That was skill, you know. And he could he could become a special talent that goes on to another club. You never know with him. Mm. You know, obviously, naturally, social media went wild. You know, I think fans are a little foolish, if, you know, on both sides if they want Billich or Lampard like sacked straight away. I mean, we're only three games into a season. I mean, and um, you know, Billich is a fantastic manager considering West Brom's situation, their budget. And to be fair, would they find one better to suit that team at the moment? I wouldn't say so. Um, Lampard's decisions, they, they've been usually quite good. And we found that when he makes mistakes, he does realise them and he adapts them. That's quite a level-headed opinion. Don't get me wrong. You, you also have to look at last season's performances. We couldn't break teams down who sat back. We've just got three goals and we've dominated possession sort of says that we did really well in that second half, mm. but it's still frustrating. And I mean, Alonso is the main culprit here. He's, you know, I think Emerson is better, better than him. And in a week where we've heard about this fallout with Alonso and Lampard, you'd say that Alonso's Chelsea career was pretty much done. And if that's the case, then, you know, he's been making consistent errors and he's a senior member of our squad. It's not good enough. You know, simple as that. He was good under Conte as a left wing back, but, are we all in agreement that his time is done as a
1: Chelsea first-teamer? I mean, if the rumours are true and that, you know, he had a big buster with Frank, then after that performance, you'd have to say, yeah, we've been sure well coming welcoming in as well. Emerson, you could argue, is a better left-back. I mean, you'd have to say that Alonso's
2: days are numbered. Mm. Yeah, I don't think Alonso, it doesn't appear... From the outside without knowing him or anything that's going on, it doesn't appear that he's reacted very well to chill welcoming in and him not being first choice anymore. It's almost like he's lost sort of concentration and enthusiasm, and that's why he's making more mistakes than he was before. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: it's just a, to, to be fair for myself, I feel that if that is the case and he's seen a player come in, it's a bad attitude straight away because you think, look, you, you've, you've you've been underperforming in, since Conte's sort of left. And I know that you're a left wing back, not a left back. That's that, you know, fair enough. You, you're more of an attacking output than defensive. But maybe adjust your game, adapt and be better. You've got competition instead of throwing your arms up in the air. Basically, don't be like certain strikers we may have or may not have at the club anymore who saw competition and went, nope, not for me. I should start. I mean, we had David Luiz apparently do that last season and he was shipped out. You'd think, fair play. I, liked, I do give credit where it's due, but if that is how Lampard is, if you're not going to work for your place, you're gone. And mm. that's how it should be.
1: Well, the thing is, you, you look at Quetta, obviously he's been out of the team pretty much every game this season so far. Rich mm. James has been ahead of him. He'd come on at the weekend and he was fantastic. He led the team, he organised the team. And he was a true role model. Like He, he played Oh, you wanted someone to play. He's just come off the bench. You know, he made an impact. And he, you know, he got the captain's armband and he led Chelsea to, to a yeah. free draw. I mean, Alonso has reacted the other way from, from Chilwell coming in. He's, he's not asked. He, he looks like he's not bothered, like you said. And he's just, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. I won't run back and, and help out. Uh, that's, that's not my man. That's your fault. Mm. that is. It's seemingly like he's passing the blame or he's not bothered when he is making mistakes. And that's probably why Lampard got so frustrated with him. And that's probably why that's the last we've seen of Marcus Alonso. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's people obviously bring
0: up Thiago Silva's mistake now. Yeah. He made a mistake. He did, you know, but overall his positioning was pretty good and he does seem a solid addition I think it was a bit harsh for people to go, oh, you know, he's, he can't handle the Premier League. It was one game and he's made one mistake. It, it does happen. It, it does happen. Yeah. Um, yeah I feel that if if Zuma had, have say, been next to him when he made the mistake, I think Zuma's pace to make that tackle or push, obviously, the striker wide, it would have been fine. But it wasn't. It was what it was. And, yeah, you know, it was one of them. I mean... 11 episodes ago, we asked the question, why is Chelsea so bad at defending set pieces? After we'd obviously already covered our goalkeeping conundrum, our centre-back dilemma and our left-back problem. But here we are heading into episode 70. It's Frank's second season in charge, asking the same question again. Why are we so bad at defending in general? You know, we witnessed that first 45 minutes against West Brom, which, as you've said it and I agree, some of the worst football we have played since maybe even the days of Mourinho's second spell when it was that third
1: season decline. So why do you think we suck so bad defensively? I'll tell you one reason why I think we're so open, so sort of ill-disciplined at the back. I mean, you look at... Kovacic and Kante are brilliant players. They are world-class players. Without a shadow of a doubt, they are world-class players. But the way that Lampard plays, they're so sort of... You can see why we want Declan Rice. Declan Rice wants to be that focal point in midfield to hold. Kante and Kovacic are not holding midfield players. When you play those two in, as two CDMs, they cannot do it. They always caught up the pitch, without doubt. They're both great destroyers in midfield, but they're always caught up the pitch trying to press the ball. And that makes teams bypass them and get into the defence so easily. And when, when you're trying to counterattack the team and they've got no midfield, it's easy. It's so easy. Look how easy it was to Liverpool the other day. We need someone that's more disciplined in that midfield. Jorginho is the only one that can hold and be a defensive midfielder. The problem is that Jorginho has got no legs at all, so you can just run past him very easily. We need Declan Rice because he offers sort of all three of those combined. He can break up play, he's got legs, he's relatively quick, and he can pass the ball. And he's disciplined, he will hold his position. can take Kovacic, don't, and then not at the minute under Lampard. And that's why we're so open.
2: And I'll let Chris talk about the defenders. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Oh, one of them, there's there's a couple of things I've noticed why I think we are so bad defensively with defenders that I don't think are necessarily any worse than other teams in the league who are much better defensively than we are, and I think it's a lack of discipline. I agree with what Berth said about whoever we play in the in either a lone defensive midfield role or if we play four two three one, those two holding players they get attracted to the ball far too often. There's no patience in just holding their position and allowing teams to come on to them and then trying to win the ball back. What ball always facing the ball like kids. We don't play with any structure. There's no there doesn't seem to be a plan in place for when we lose the ball. It's not like we've got the ball and we're just expecting to either score a goal or win a corner. We, we don't seem to think about what about if he gives the ball away and everyone just gets attracted to going forwards. And in some in some games I do feel sorry for our centre backs because they are left to defend by themselves with no fullbacks and no protection in front, and that is hard for any team. If you look at, if you look at Liverpool, they leave their centre-backs exposed to hell of a long time, but they've got Van Dijk. I think if you take Van Dijk out of Liverpool, they play similar to how long and I think Liverpool would concede a lot of goals. We have a, a, a genuinely world-class centre to sort of get us out of jail. I think he's got to come up with a better structure defensively to how we react to when we're ball
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, you know, I totally can see point of view. It's, I mean, for me, Keppel was always a big problem. Because you know he doesn't ooze confidence for anyone in that back line, and I kind of felt you saw how Liverpool, like you mentioned, they improved when they had a goalkeeper they could rely on. They just all stepped up a level because they've got that confidence that you know if we we make a mistake, we've got a goalkeeper that can can help us out. Same with Manchester City's defense. I know you could laugh at that now, but with Ederson in goal, you sort of you're more confident. Obviously, their problems are because of obviously company leaving and there's that leadership role and all that sort of thing, but. You know, obviously Kepper, he was not in the, he was not in goal against West Brom and Albion, but I felt against West Brom, we could have had the prime years of Levi Ashin, and Oliver Kahn or even Buffon and we wouldn't have been secure at the back. And that's, that's scary. I mean, since Lampard's appointment, no team in the Premier League has conceded as many goals away from home than Chelsea. And yeah. to suggest the faults rest solely with the keeper, that's that's smokescreen. You know, I'll read the 21 away games, one clean sheet. That, that's, that's alarm bells. You know, you don't It's not win. good enough. It, it isn't good enough. 100% agreed. You do not win trophies with that sort of record, let alone have the ambition of a title challenge. And over the summer, we felt Chelsea had acknowledged the need to improve their defense. You know, it's, it's quite hard not to acknowledge that. Uh, ben Chilwell, he's yet to make his league debut, obviously due to fitness and injury. Obviously we now know he's going to be coming on for playing against Spurs tonight, but Uh, He's going to certainly add more further forward on the left-hand side and hopefully be more defensively sound than Alonso. And the arrival of Thiago Silva was expected to sort of stiffen up our defence, his leadership being a key role. The early evidence suggests the 36-year-old could struggle to plug Chelsea's leaks on on his own. I mean, we touched on it a little earlier, but how did you rate Thiago Silva's
1: debut against West Brom? I mean, I actually thought he played quite well. I mean, it it looks bad that we conceded three when he was on the pitch and he obviously made that mistake. But I actually thought he was really good with the ball. Um, He was good in the air. He read the game very well. And I don't think he looked out of place. It was just, unfortunately, the fullbacks got caught very high up. He hasn't got the pace like he used to. And he made that horrific mistake. And it just made his debut look worse than it actually was.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think overall. That one mistake aside he he was pretty solid he he sort of went unnoticed which is what you want from a center back it usually means that they're doing their job well so i thought it was i thought it was a decent enough debut he he made one horrendous mistake which obviously that's what he'll be remembered for in that game but overall it actually was pretty good
0: yeah uh, yeah pretty fair i mean I, i look apart obviously i gave my thoughts on silver's debut I'm going to expand on that very interesting stat. I mean, our away form, since the start of last season, that's 21 away games, 42 goals conceded, that's the most of the Premier League, one clean sheet, and 13 times we've conceded two or more goals. You know, wow, that that is horrendous. That is horrendous. I mean, you're not going to win anything. I mean, we've conceded the most goals away from home in the Premier League. And we're, we're, we're talked up as a title challenger. How?
2: Uh,
1: how? I think I'm Chris... Gonna... <laughs> you have Chris, to pick them points up. Chris made a really good point there about the structure of the team. Look, you look at how Arteta has performed at Arsenal. Now, obviously, Arteta has been under Guardiola. He's one of the best modern day managers in the past 10 years. So he knows his stuff, Arteta. But you look at how he's structured Arsenal and how he's made them defensively, very, very solid. I know last night, I was up against a very good Liverpool team, we put three past them. Mm. But that, they're very, very sound. They do not look like they're in trouble. They're like going to be countered. They look very solid at the back. And that's with a, a defence as David Luiz, sometimes Mustafi, you know, Rob Holding, Dellerin, uh, Klasenac's players like that, Maitland-Niles, who's not a natural defender. And he's got them working and got them drilled and disciplined. Lampard doesn't have that at the moment, not know if it's a formation the training the players I don't know but Lampard needs to find out quickly what it is get structures to that team because at the moment we will not be anywhere near the total pitch come the end of the season
2: now, I, people keep talking about the character that we showed in the second half against West Bram and it is character in a way but I actually think character is one of the worst things about this Chelsea team that, mm. that first half against West Bram, teams with good character don't turn up and go 3-0 down and play that. we just turned up oh, this is West Brom so we'll win this. people mm-hmm. taking ball playing slow taking too many touches you know, no reaction when they lose the ball because they don't West Brom can hurt us you know yeah. that all points to poor character in the thing. good teams don't play at 3-0 down
0: no I mean we did it last year I think it was against Sheffield United like you said I mean I mean, one man, we've touched on him already. We use a scapegoat and he gets a lot of criticism and he was kind of the front of our disastrous defense last week because it's obviously Alonso. I mean, seven, opening seven minutes summed up potentially his last few seasons with us. I mean, he made a mistake in the run up to Robinson's first goal. That's prior to being booked after getting taken apart by Semi Ajayi. And Lampard also pinned the blame on him too for his, the West Brom third goal and because obviously Chelsea failed to obviously offer any reaction to the hosts' pre-planned corner routine. You know, Alonso lost his man, uh, and we we're all kind of in agreement that Alonso's time at the bridge probably ended. A bit similar to Kipper, Kepa. Um, you know, we come back. We touch on it there. We come back to our set piece issues yet again. Chelsea conceded twelve goals from set pieces last season, and the answer they have come up with through the summer seems to be: let's stick eleven men between the goal line and the penalty spot. You know, West Brom were able to bypass this by pulling the delivery back to, well, in this game, it was Darnell Furlong. He, he was on a post on the edge of the box. That alone is unacceptable from a side going for titles. Simple as that. And that header found Carl Bartley in a similar space on the edge of the six-yard box, and it resulted in a goal. You know, it was crazy to see this ball come in, headed in, unchallenged, you know. And some Chelsea defenders pushed up upon the first ball but Reese James switched off to play obviously Bartley on side now let's not kid ourselves Chelsea set piece problem has predated Lampard we know this it happened under Sarri and you know Sarri changed from Conte's successful man marking approach and yeah the the alarm bells are going to ring I'm going to say it to a zonal marking system we remember them discussions don't we listeners Chris Berth does he does uh okay. wait, I I okay. mean uh Lampard has tried both and yet he can't find a solution and it sounds harsh but this was brought up on social media and I'm going to ask it with a deep breath is Lampard tactically out of his depth and would this squad benefit from a more tactically experienced veteran manager at the helm take that as you will but
1: what do you think on that I think it's hard to say I think at times in the past couple of seasons Lampard has got it spot on uh, tactically there's other Hmm. times where he hasn't got it spot on and he's changed it mid-game and it's worked out better. But I, I do think Lampard's got a good brand. I don't think he's out of his depth at all. I think, I think that's rubbish. Would we look better defensively under Pochettino? He, yeah. No I doubt he went for him.
0: I, I was thinking of that. It's whoever I've, pulls the trigger first. Is it United or Chelsea for the... I mean, he's the most punch.
1: obvious one though, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say I want Pochettino over Lampard. That's just stupid because I, I still think Lampard is a good manager. And he's still growing and he'll only get better. But I think what... We've shown, what Chelsea has shown as a club, looking at the players, is there's no no leaders. I mean, you've got I quite, but looking around the pitch and the rest of them, how many of them would you say are true leaders on the pitch? There's no John Terrys on there. There's no Frank Lampard's on there. There's no Didier was on there. There's no Ashley Carles on there. there. And that's what we lack from corners. There's no one talking. I've said it numerous times. Yeah, you've got Azpilicueta, but... So as as organising goes and sort of leadership and sort of putting your head on the line and mm. getting into shape, we've got none of that. And we haven't had that since Mourinho's first season back. Mm. And and it's hard to get that sort of leader into a team. You know, there's not many John Terrors about, there's not many Frank Lampard's about, not many Drogfers about to help you lead the team and organise a team from a corner, or from a set piece or whatever. So it's it's one of them. You can look at Lampard and his tactics but you can also look at the lack of leaders that we've got, and that doesn't help as well as another factor to, to point into that. Yeah. What What do you think on this one, Chris? Oh,
2: I think that's a great point, actually, Bert, about the leadership. Because I mean, I don't know the stats, but I can imagine that all of these sort of defensive problems, set piece problems, started when we got rid of Courtois, Gary Cahill, Fabregas, Diego Costa, all people who was leaders. Uh, That was the last time I would say that we really had a spine of a team that had those leaders and characters in it who was going to make people do their job properly. So I think that's a good point. On the Lampard thing, I don't think he's tactically out of his depth. I do think he's still finding his style. I I, I still don't think he's settled completely on a way he wants his teams to play. I, i seen a stat earlier that he's took charge of 41 games. And he's made. He's used twenty different back four combinations. That is far too many for, for a defence where they need to learn to play together. Yes, yeah. yeah, is all coming to that as well. Just working together day in, day out, week after week. I think sometimes I watched an interview with Lampard that he did on on a, so I think it was a Sky Sports podcast about he's he's so involved in the job, which is great. But I do think sometimes he's he's overthinking it. He's he's almost he makes changes for the sake of changes. And I think sometimes he he puts up what he thinks is his best team, they don't play well, so the next week he changes it and then he they don't play well and then he changes it. And then if they do play yeah. well, he sticks with it until they don't play well, then he changes it again. I think he just needs to go back to what's your best what shape do you want to play? How do you want the team to play and pick the best team that fits that? And I think that's the mistake he's making at the minute. Yeah, you
0: you bring up that and that's true. I've got the stats up here, and our most popular defensive setup five games started together at forty one is Christensen, Asprilla, Zuma, and Rhys James. So you think, and now you're going to have another one because obviously Chilwell's going to start. I mean, how Chelsea play with the ball and how we play without the ball. It, it, it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, thirteen months in, I'm a bit. I'm a bit clueless. That could be my own fault, but I'm a bit clueless of Lampard's tactics. I mean, he wants hard work, you know, players pressure in the opponents. Mount Mount alone is incredible for that. You know, the pressing game, incredible. I mean, my concern is like how many coaches and teams have kind of hilariously tried to copy Guardiola's method from the last decade without knowing what it truly is. And it could be a hot take. But I think Lampard's sort of doing something similar with Klopp's method, with, which is obviously Liverpool press efficiently. And importantly, they, they have a plan on how they attack once they win the ball back and a plan on how to defend without the ball. At the moment, it feels that Chelsea don't really have a plan on how to play once we win the ball back. That, that's, that's kind yeah. of what yeah. I'm getting. Uh, and, yeah, it, that's the problem. I mean, that's again, West Brom, I just saw, what was the answer? We're going to throw another striker on or a forward. And you're like, yes, we need to go for the, the win and the, the points or whichever. But you then got to think, oh, what about behind, you know, when we lose the ball? You know, if, if we go back to the days of Jose Mourinho's tenure and you both mentioned this earlier about how defensively strong we were, I mean, 15 goals conceded in a season. Wow. That's a record I still think will stand for another 10 years. I can't see it being beaten for a while. You know, his method of coaching was to structure defense and midfield and then create an environment where attackers can do their business. You know, operative word is obviously create an environment. You know, again, Lampard seems to have taken only maybe let attackers do their thing without the environment. I know it's a bit like, what? But as a consequence with the ball, Chelsea always look a little bit clueless. You know, you've got no runners running to space to drag opponents out. You've got no one trying something creative with the ball. Maybe not since Hazard. That might change with Ziyech. You never know when they obviously, and Pulisic again, we need a fully fit squad. But you've got players then dawdling on the ball. And when you, you know, idle, when you're idle, you make mistakes. And individual mistakes are costing goals. That's what I, that happens so occasionally, but it's happening in each game and that to me is a structural problem, and that's what's happening at Chelsea. You know, Alonso, a mistake leads to a goal. Reece James, a mistake leads to a goal. When there's no plan, everyone's kind of all over the place around the pitch, and those with the ball don't know what to do, and it just makes the opposition, it gives them the advantage, and it's easier for them to like sort of take the ball from us and then attack and, you know, put us under pressure. I mean, what do you feel is the solution? I mean, that's such a ridiculously huge question, but what is the solution? I,
1: th- I think what Lampard wants, it's clear that Lampard wants us to play good football and good attacking football. We've seen glimpses of that. Uh, but I think the problem is, he wants to our attacking players and our attacking midfielders, he wants them to play with a lot of freedom. I think the problem with playing with a lot of freedom, especially like when you look at Mason Mount, who's floating about, and Havertz now is floating about, and you've got Bernard coming in from the left and, and stuff like that. It's good having players like that. It's brilliant having players like that. But then where's the structure to those attacking players? Like you can't have too many people having freedom on the pitch. You've got to have some sort of structure. And that—that that is what is missing to that team, structure, a game plan. And like I said, maybe it's formation, you know, maybe it's a I don't know. But I think it's a difficult one. We need some structure, like Arteta's sort of model at Arsenal, stick with formation, players that... Uh, would suit that formation and then we go forward but you can't just keep chopping and changing this and that and you you need some structure
2: yeah I think the the thing that he has to do now over the course of the next month or so with everyone getting back fit will be he'll need to decide what formation he wants to play exactly how that formation is going to work in terms of the style of play that he wants and then just pick the players that best suit that don't worry about whether you've got someone who costs $70 million on the bench or, you know, someone who's more popular with the fans are on the bench and not playing, pick the players that best suit the system that he wants to play. Because at the minute, it just looks like a load of players have been thrown together and they're going out there almost without a plan. And I agree with what you said, Mikey. I think he's almost gave freedom to too many players. He's, mm. he's basically just said, go, go and play your football. But that yeah. doesn't work. That doesn't no. You need a structure behind that to allow those. There's a reason why Liverpool are so good Because Jurgen Klopp's system is all set up around his front three and his, and his full-backs. That's why he has three centre midfield players who all just work hard and aren't really great footballers. They all just work hard and they do the work that those, those five attackers won't do. But, I mean, yeah. but you need that structure behind it. You can't just allow everyone to go and play free. Before teams at this level, will
0: no, you No, I can totally see your point. I mean, it's,
1: go on, Chris. Sorry, so the, but, the thing is as well, like, I mean, you look at Jurgen's Klopp's team and that that team has been drilled. Though. Every day, that is a formation they're playing. It's structured, it's drilled, it's disciplined. Lampard needs to do that with, with Chelsea. So you need that sort of drilling and discipline and, and structure. There are going to be some games where it isn't going to work. That's just football, but you can't just keep chopping and changing formations each week. You can't just one week yeah. play three at the back, then four, two, three, one, then next week, four, three, three, two attacking eights you need a certain structure. So the players know what they're doing each week. And then if it doesn't work in the game, you change <laughs> it in game. And then you go back to that four, three, three or whatever the week after you can't just keep chopping and changing. Cause that just won't work. And the players won't know what they're doing each week. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I'll end it on this question that friend of the show, Will Ford said. I mean, how much time is too much time for Lampard? Because we know our board, and I know we're all back, we're all big fans of backing the manager and everything, and we're not saying oh we're going to sack him. No, no no, but we know what our board are like. And now he's, he hasn't kind of got the transfer ban to fall on. You know, he's had the time to spend, and you, you we know how our board are going to see this. Most likely, it's going to be. If you can't get the most out of 200 million pounds worth of talent, I'll find someone that will.
1: Uh, you'd have to say end of the season. Yeah, I think. That's end of the season. Best. Or and we've just got when, four, we'll carry on. Or if we can't make top four. Yeah, yeah. Bit,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, think any, I think as we sit here now, I would say he needs this full season to mm. put most work out his style, the team's style, what works best, what doesn't. Unless something drastic happens, like you said, like if we completely drop out of that top four place, sitting in eight or lower, then you've got yeah. that on himself. The then. Yeah, so that, that's fair. the contention for top four, you've got to give him as much time as you can. And at the end of the season, if it's if trophyless, trophyless and we've missed out on that top four, then unfortunately the name of the game is results. And yeah, it we've is. Got- yeah,
0: it is 100%. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel we, 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 we've come to the end, obviously another episode of at the bridge pod, obviously next week, listeners, we're going to be deep diving into our champions league opponents. So you won't be too, too sad to see an international break coming up, you know? So, and I think hopefully after the international break, we'll have a thoroughly a, a fit squad again, you know, we've we'll a few stitch back and see it, So hopefully, uh, when we come back into the premier league, we're going to have um, a good squad. Obviously this weekend we've got crystal palace. So that's always a. That's always a stressful one. And then obviously the international break and then we've got, got some tough games. You know, we've got Southampton, Man United, Burnley, Sheffield United. So not easy, but we'll see how they go. We've got one game on Halloween. We're going to Burnley. So woo, scary times. Um, yeah. But obviously, where can we all be found on social
1: media, guys? Uh, Chris, I'll let you go first this week. Okay. On Twitter,
2: I'm at ChrisD09Adams.
1: And on Twitter, I'm at Chris
0: Burford. And you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that redhead dude. But for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for at the Bridge Pod. So you can drop us a like, a follow, keep up to date on all things Chelsea. When we next join you, listeners, we'll have that group stage deep dive and obviously the end of the transfer windows. So that's always a good thing to uh, look over. So yeah, till next time. That's us signing off for Chelsea fans everywhere. This is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in game stats, and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play.